Hi everyone and welcome. My name is Lucia. And I'm Cory, and we are the hosts of Reading Materials, a bookish podcast in which we take it in turns to select a book or series of books, read it, and then discuss it on the show. As this is our first episode, we will briefly introduce ourselves, and then we are going to be talking about Harry Potter. So, without further ado, let's dive right in. Hi everyone, we don't really know how to start this. We don't really know what we're doing, but uh... (laughs) We don't! We are two friends who have decided to get together every couple of weeks and talk about a predetermined book and share our thoughts and uh, our likes, our dislikes. We're both from a scientific background, but we're both avid readers. And we used to write a blog, but we thought we would try a podcast this time because it's just different isn't it we we started with something that we both know really well which is harry potter and we just went for our three favorite things so each of us chose a set of three favorite things or three things we really liked about the series so we talked about that later on we've not decided on a particular format we're going to leave it quite fluid and just see where it takes us and yes definitely this is my first podcast So we are open to any suggestions from any listeners that we might have. And we will give you all the details for all the social media and emails at the end of the episode. Yes, exactly. So we're going to record some stuff so that you can get to know a little bit more about us now. And then we'll start talking about Harry Potter later on. You wrote down five questions I did for us yes so you themed yours on reading and I sort of themed mine on more personal stuff yes so how do you know me I know you from university we mm-hmm. met on possibly the very first day so we did the same degree and we were placed in the same tutor group yes and that's how oh, we I forgot we were in the same tutor group and then the first week, we were supposed to do like a group project together. Something with the science museum, I think. We were studying material science. We had to pick a sort of everyday material and then go and draw three items from around South Kensington. Yeah. I remember mine very clearly because I went to the v and I chose stone and I drew a naked statue. I took it as an opportunity to get naked people into my first ever piece of coursework <laughs> my degree. <laughs> yeah, our friendship kind of just went from there. We very rapidly discovered we both liked Harry Potter, didn't we? Probably. (laughs) Yeah, good times. So that's what, 13 years now? That's mad. It is one of my longest friendships. When I think about how we met, I always think about being in labs and singing the Potter Puppet Pals thing, (laughs) which we could do just off by heart. So the next question is for both of us, which is where do you live or are you from? Why don't you go ahead? Okay, so I am from Africa with my very British accent. I grew up in South Africa slash Zimbabwe. And then when I was 10, moved to the UK. And here I have been ever since. And I moved to Bristol, must have been five years ago now, from London. Well, I am from Slovakia, 
but currently live in Dublin, in Ireland. I've lived here for four years. And in between that, I've lived in a whole bunch of other countries that we don't really need to get into right now. Most prominently, obviously, the UK, since that's where we met. What is your favourite way to consume media? I think it's a tie between reading and watching. Mm-hmm. So obviously when it comes to books, I read. <laughs> when it comes to TV shows and films, mm. I watch those. Mine is controversial, perhaps, because it is reading and listening. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of reading through audiobooks. I would say, especially while I was studying my sort of second qualification, that is what I mostly did. I I hadn't picked up a real book for a really long time. Yeah, listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audiobooks. I don't really listen to music. And because I'm on the computer all day for work, I tend to try not spend too much time on my screens or my computer in the evenings. So I don't actually watch that much of anything, really. I just get too bored, like, sitting, sitting. I'm a bit too all over the place. So, does your partner read? Not really, no. No. My partner, i.e. my husband, Andreas, mm-hmm. doesn't read fiction very mm-hmm. often. It's just not something that he really wants to do at the end of the day, and also it makes him really tired very quickly. He's tried to read a few books, but has only finished maybe one or two of those so that's not really something that we share no what about will yes will does read not as much as i do i tend to be a lot more sort of all over the place so i'll read everything whereas he mostly reads science fiction and sort of assessments of the world he did a he did a cultural studies degree so he's really into sociology and psychology and all that nonsense (laughs) i did not know that um, yeah, so he does read, but um, it tends to be sort of 20 minutes before bed, if at all, while I'm doing my whole skincare routine. It is it is, it is one of the things that encouraged me. Him and you, I would say, are the two things that once I qualified from studying accountancy, I really went back into it. So that leads on nicely to my next question. If you weren't a scientist, yeah. what would you be? If I wasn't a scientist... I would want to be paid to read books. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is why I'm trying to get into publishing. Yeah, I don't really know what else. For a long time I was debating, I I would like to write a book or something. But I I know I would be able to do that in the sense that I can sit down and write a a large document. Mm. I've already done that. But I just don't have much of an imagination, I don't think. How about you? So I am an accountant. If I wasn't an accountant, I realistically would probably do something with animals. I'd love to have like a a fish breeding business Mm -hmm. or something that just let me play with fish tanks all day and get paid for it. (laughs) Yeah, right. I wish we could just get paid for our hobbies. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's weird, though, because I sort of I came to accountancy via trying to sell knitting and all that like yarn and stuff and it became a job so I do wonder if doing the fish stuff for me would be very much like that would just take all the pleasure out of it it's why I became an accountant I'm good with numbers Mm -hmm. so 
that leads us on to the reading part. So I've prepared five questions about our reading habits. Mm -hmm. Question number one, which we've already kind of touched upon. What is your favorite way of absorbing literature? Mm -hmm. Are you an ebook person? Are you a physical book person? Are you an audiobook person? So my favorite way is always going to be a real book. But as per my, I find it quite difficult to sit down. I find it really hard to relax, I suppose. I most commonly listen to audiobooks because then I can clean the house or do chores or run. I'm really pushing my running at the moment so having a really absorbing audiobook is very helpful because it makes me not think about the hardness of the run and I love Kindles for the fact that you can carry them with you and have your whole digital library and also I very luckily don't get car sick and Will loves driving so we spend a lot of time in the car and I'm less absorbed by being a passenger than Will is by being the driver so it's really helpful having a backlit screen that doesn't interrupt his driving but allows me to sort of while away the hours while we are on the road what about you I think most people are primarily you know the physical book there's just something about holding the book that makes it more special and I used to be against ebook readers for that reason for a long time because I always felt like, well, if mm. it's not physical copy, then it's kind of cheating. That being said, Andreas got me an ebook reader last Christmas. Mm. And with the lockdown, it's just been the most amazing thing because the books are just always available. I don't really listen to audiobooks all that much. I've listened to all the Harry Potter ones mm. because they're amazing. But apart from that, it works well when we're in the car, but it doesn't work well if I'm doing chores or something because I find I'm not really focusing on the story. Yeah. So audiobook is probably my least favorite. Yeah. I, the audiobook thing is really controversial, yeah. isn't it? Because a lot of people consider it to not be reading. Yes. Yes, that's also true. And I think also for me, it's the narrator. I feel like even if the story is great, if the narrator is not good, I won't enjoy it. The one that I'm listening to at the moment is very much, I'd started listening to it a few times and it it took like a really sort of, I had to sit down for half an hour and wait until I got into the story before I could start doing other stuff and still be engaged by it. The Harry Potter audiobooks, we will come back to later. Okay, so question number two, since we both like to read our physical books, what are your bookish pet peeves? For example, <laughs> bending the spine or writing or highlighting in books, yay or nay? I'm very, very different to you. You consider books as sacred objects. <laughs> Whereas I, unless it's like a hardback book, I'm very different with. I won't bend the pages or anything. But if it's a sort of paperback, and especially I buy quite a lot of books in charity shops, so they've already seen a fair amount of use, I will bend the pages, bend the spine, sit in the bath with them, 
when we started our original blog, which is how this sort of got started, is that we were debating starting up the blog again, and then we thought maybe we would give podcasting a chance, and that blog was a Harry Potter blog. Yeah, I I wrote all over it while I was reading to make notes so that when I was then blogging about it later, I could remember. And that's also partly why I didn't want this to be too much in depth, because I was like, the amount of information <laughs> that you can... <laughs> sort of gather it stops you from enjoying a book I think anyway sorry that's a complete side thing yes I treat them like objects to be abused unless they are like collector's edition books you can you can describe your crazy way of dealing with books now (laughs) yes I am the exact opposite especially if I'm reading a paperback I hate opening it fully and therefore Bending the spine, creases in the spine are a big no-no. Writing and highlighting, it makes me just want to curl up and cry. Which is why also the ebook reader has been great because you, you can highlight. just highlight and make notes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's all digital. I haven't figured out how to do that on the Kindle yet. You would have hated what I was doing when I was crafting because I was literally cutting books up to make cards. Yeah. I mean, I think if I if if it was for a specific purpose, like what you mm. say, cutting it up because you wanted to make a postcard or something mm. like that, and I knew that, okay, this book is just never going to be read again, I can shred it because this is what it's for, mm. then that's different. Which brings me then to question number three. Do you binge read or do you like to take your time and savor? I can't savor. As much as I would love to, I just get too into the story. I have to get to the end. So that's why I'm not reading the next book in that series at the moment. I can't moderate myself. I have no self-control. I just stay up all night. (laughs) Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I've been trying to be better because I'm trying to be more active on Goodreads and actually review all the books that I'm reading. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to take notes and do all that stuff. But very quickly, I just get so into it that I just forget to do that. I hadn't realised how into books I get until when I was reading The Big Battle in the third book. What's the series actually called? I can't remember. A Court of Thorns and Roses. A Court of Thorns and Roses. When I was reading, spoiler alert, when I was reading that scene at the end, I was literally sitting there, like, shoulders hunched. It was on the e-reader, so I was, like, staring at the screen, and Will was talking to me, and... (laughs) And I completely didn't even notice. And then he was like, are you okay? And I was like, what? What? And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, shut up, I'm reading. (laughs) (laughs) I put the book down and that's when I texted you and I was like, I think I might have to give Will a bit of a break (laughs) because I'm just too like, yeah. I think think when, like you say, you haven't got an imagination, I think that is wrong because I think if you couldn't, if you didn't have an imagination, you couldn't get into books like that. Maybe. But I, I certainly don't think I could come up with a story like that. Yeah, well, like, uh, I don't know. I don't, actually, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I, I haven't really ever tried. Exactly. You could have the seed of an idea now, and then in 30 years' time, when you're retired, and you're like, oh, I've got time now, you could have been slowly building that world in your head. Well, Maybe we should try it one day. We'll come back to that 30 years' oh. time when we're retired. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So then, do you prefer to read series or individual novels? I think it depends completely 
on the books. There's an author that I read, Clive Cussler, I think his name is. He's got this series of books which are all focused on one main character and it's a load of different adventures that are all of a similar type. And I find that they got really samey. It might also have been something to do with the fact that it was sort of crime and like there's only so many ways that espionage can happen when it's the same author trying to make something up. So I found that they got a bit tired and I tend to go off authors when they start doing what I perceive rightly or wrongly to be just making money off their thing Mm -hmm. so for example I'm way less interested in the fringe materials for Harry Potter Mm -hmm. than I am in the core seven books to me those seven books are the series and then the rest of it is sort of almost canon fan fiction that I am not that interested in. So I think a really good short series or a really good single book, but if series start getting too big, Mm -hmm. I find them much harder to be on board with. So actually, to completely contradict myself there, the one series that I have that is really long is the um, Outlander ones. So I think we're waiting for book eight at the moment. But I think the reason I've enjoyed it so much is because it's historical fiction and the author does an incredible amount of research into the history and she takes it at a slow enough pace that we are still following the lives of the main characters even though we're eight books in, whereas I don't think there are very many series that you could write where you were that in-depth into a character's life and still be eight massive books in. How about you? I think I I gravitate more towards series because I like the long character arcs, the actual, the real in-depth character development. So I'm more likely to start a new series and just binge read it and read a standalone. I don't read many of those. I'm reading one now actually, and it's okay so far. But mm. yeah, I much prefer the kind of longer series. But I I see what you mean, and I agree that after a while. It just becomes sometimes a bit too long. Have you ever heard of The Wheel of Time? I have. I have not read it. <sighs> yeah, see, I got I got a substantial amount of the way into it, and then I was just like, no, I'm done. I can't, I can't hack this anymore. And that's, that's another really unusual thing, is that once normally once I start something, I have to finish it, even if I'm hating it. I think that's the only series I've ever abandoned. Which I think brings us very nicely to my last question, which is, what is your favourite genre to read? I think that magic and sort of complete fantasy mm-hmm. is something that will always be quite close to my heart just because of the way that I grew up with Harry Potter. But I also really like historical fiction because I have a, a complete fascination with the world and history. So, I don't know, um, Pillars of the Earth, where it takes you back to, it's about a thousand AD, I think. It's, there's no way for us to know really how people lived back then. So it's complete fiction, but it has got a historical basis. Mm -hmm. I think I would go, I, I don't know that I could choose between those two genres. How about you? Well, similarly to you, I gravitate a lot towards fantasy. Not what 
I suppose, scholarly people would consider high fantasy. Mm. So not the Lord of the Rings or mm. Wheel of Time or Game of Thrones. I find those to be a bit intimidating. A bit too academic. A bit too, yeah. I like more lighthearted YA fantasy, like A Court of Thrones and Roses. Anything with vampires is always going to be great for me. And that's because um, of Buffy. That's because of Buffy, yes. Yeah. But if I'm not reading any of those, then I would probably pick up, like, a crime thriller. Nice! So why don't you explain why we chose Harry Potter? We agreed that we should give a brief overview of the books that we read, and as I chose Harry Potter, I get the job of summarising it. How does one start a synopsis of one of the most famous series of books in the world? We have known Harry since we, Lucia, Harry and I, were ten, as an orphan boy living with relatives. The reader accompanies Harry on his journey from starting secondary school through to the end of both school and, ultimately, his childhood, in a spellbinding series of stories within stories, twists and turns, world building and friendships. Over seven books, each of which covers a school year, Harry finds out that he is a wizard, discovers he has a mortal enemy, and realises that he is key to ridding the world of a particular type of evil. Friendships and the strength of relationships are developed and explored. Along the way, we experience mystery, monsters and magic. Fantasy stereotypes are turned on their head as we find out exactly what broomsticks are really for, that werewolves can in fact be friendly, and that light can indeed be found in the darkest of places. Rich in detail, with an incredibly layered world to imagine and explore, the series is the perfect transition for children making their way into more complex literature, while also providing older readers with the perfect comfort blanket for when they need a little bit of magic in their lives. By the way, there are going to be spoiler alerts for all of this. I don't think that can really be helped because it's a really old series. But if you've not read Harry Potter, maybe you don't want to listen to this and also maybe you should go read it. <laughs> One of the largest things that has tied us together has been our love and appreciation and knowledge of the Harry Potter world. So uh, we've already talked about that story about being in labs and singing the Potter Puppet Pals. And then there's also an, a, uh, a pivotal night in our relationship where we were watching the, what was it, the sixth film? And um, Lucia knew every single line and... I couldn't I could not get over it yeah we always have that as sort of our common theme and I think both of us know more about Harry Potter than anybody else I know I would say when we left uni we started writing the blog going through it literally chapter by chapter um which became a bit too much and we both had other stuff going on in our lives so we kind of that fell by the wayside and we debated starting it up again and and decided no. And then, yeah, at, at the beginning of the last lockdown, we were doing online quizzes on an almost weekly basis. That were primarily Harry Potter. That were, yeah, primarily Harry Potter based. And I think for me, the time of my life when I found Harry Potter has been very closely tied to my mental health and my state of mind. So as a very light introduction to that side of things, I've struggled with depression and anxiety. 
and Harry Potter has been one of the most instrumental things in helping me deal with that, which I'll explain later. But when we moved to England, we didn't have many resources available and we had left Zimbabwe in a bit of a hurry because of the political situation. But when we arrived here, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was about to come out and one of our friends from South Africa had come to visit us shortly before we came to England and had introduced me to Harry Potter, but he was reading uh, the first three books and I was sort of standing, watching over his shoulder, reading the page before he did. I, I read very quickly, so I was sort of reading before him, waiting for him to finish. And then he'd go like home for the evening and he'd on and then I'd have to pick up the story the next day wherever he was. So that was the very first time. So I knew I liked the books, but I, I didn't really know what it was still when we moved to England. So the first thing mum and dad did was buy me those three books. And then it was the rainiest summer in years, the summer that we moved here. It was the year 2000. And... um all I had was Harry Potter. So I I would literally read books one, two, three, go back to the beginning, one, two, three, back to the beginning. And then for my 11th birthday, my brother Ashton, who Lucia also knows, uh, bought me Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And then I would go one, two, three, four. And that is basically how it continued and I wish I could say I stopped doing that, but I've never stopped. I, I, it is, it's the one sort of background thing. And I think that, that that summer, it was just so instrumental. And then it always came out around my birthday, which is in July. So I always got the next book for my birthday. I love hearing that story because it's very similar to my own story of how yeah. I discovered Harry Potter. It was like late 1999, early 2000. Yeah. I got the first three books as a Christmas present from friends of my parents who were living in the UK and they knew I liked to read and it was this phenomenon that had just started. So they bought me the first three books for Christmas and I spent those two weeks just flying through the books. And then, as you say, until the fourth one came out, rereading them. Yep. And I think it has a special place in my heart also because it has been instrumental in starting new friendships not just our own but also in the year 2000 we also moved to a new country didn't know anyone there and I was the kid who had the Harry Potter books before everybody else because I had them in English because they hadn't been translated yet my classmates wanted to read the books and I was the only person who had them at the time mm -hmm. so that's how we formed some long-lasting friendships actually that absolutely blows my mind that at 10 years old you were proficient enough in two languages and your friends were as well oh. I wouldn't say I was proficient at two languages at the age of 10 I was proficient in English at that time because mm. I've been living in an English-speaking country and studying in English for four mm. years at that point and I'd forgotten Slovak almost completely oh, wow. it was also why it was a difficult time for me because I couldn't yeah. really communicate with most of my mm -hmm. classmates um so the two friends who I'm still friends with to this day who were the ones who wanted to read the Harry Potter books they were 
mostly speaking to me in English, actually. So I suppose that very nicely leads us into what was it about Harry Potter in particular that made it so interesting for you? Well, I think you should uh, you, you start. Two things. I'll start with the first one, which is at the time I was, well, I was very young, so I wasn't reading particularly complicated books, but I really enjoyed mysteries even back then. So I think what really drew me in, apart from the world building, which we'll get into in a minute, mm. was the mystery that was present in each book. So obviously for the first one, you know, what is the Philosopher's Stone? The second one, what is the Chamber of Secrets and why is mm. it so scary? Who is the Prisoner of Azkaban? I just found that really engaging and I really mm. enjoyed how Harry and Hermione and Ron would kind of stumble onto this mystery and just kind of get sucked in and have to deal with whatever it is that they had to deal with that school year. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to have children that I can read these books to or watch them experiencing the books. Because one of the things that I really wish I could remember is exactly how the first time I read the books, it made me feel. Mm. Because they're just now so much part of my life that I will never get that wonder back. Yeah. And I can, I can feel sort of, you know, there are snippets of it. I think I found Quirrell really upsetting. I really struggled with the fact that I couldn't solve the mystery of who Quirrell was mm -hmm. until the end. I don't, I didn't like that reveal. I don't really like the whole thing where it, we got led down one direction and then had the reveal that we'd been completely misled throughout with, with Snape appearing to be the bad guy and all that. But I, but I don't know if that's how I would have felt back then. Oh, I found it amazing. I was Did so you? sure it was Snape. <laughs> um, actually, the first one, maybe I don't think the first one, the mystery wasn't maybe that mind-blowing for me. But the second one, despite the fact that it's actually my least favorite book, yeah, I remember when I first read it, I was blown away by Tom Riddle and the whole scene in the Chamber of Secrets and the whole program mm. of his name being I am Lord Voldemort. It's like, oh my God, yeah. so clever. <laughs> I know. Do you know, I still have to remind myself sometimes, you know, where you write out Tom Marvolo Riddle and then I am, yeah, madness. <laughs> I think I I think I loved how it sort of progressed as the characters grew up. It got darker. And I think for us as well, we were the same ages as them, give or take a year. It was almost perfect with the progression. Whereas now I don't know that if I had had the books when I was 10, I would have read through all of them mm. in quick succession. And maybe those later ones would have been a bit dark. But yes. then also maybe you wouldn't have understood it because I there are parts of the Chamber of Secrets that now as an adult I look back on and I go, actually, that is a hint of real darkness. Mm -hmm. But no, as a kid, it, it wasn't affecting at all. It's interesting because, I mean, obviously the, the whole series is about death and coming to terms with losing a loved one. And that's yeah. there from the very first chapter. 
I suppose as a child, when you're reading it, it doesn't really fully sink in. But when you read it as an adult and you think it's, it's, it was dark from the beginning. Like there was never yeah. really a time when it was just da light, magic, happy. The risk to Harry's life was there from the get go. But definitely she goes much more in depth. Well, um, she, she just deals with much bigger topics, doesn't she? Yes, definitely. How did you find the Dementors as a metaphor? The mental health aspect of it all, I think, is one of the reasons why it has helped me so much. Because the whole thing is a metaphor for depression and even Sirius being a black dog. And there's so many quotes from it. I think my favourite one being Dumbledore right at the end. They're on platform nine and three quarters after Harry's been killed. and he says, uh, just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean it's not real. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've really grappled with. Because when I first sort of realised that I, this wasn't just hormonal ups and downs, it was something that needed a bit more attention. It was really scary. And I think having Dementors as the sort of embodiment of something that can be really difficult to understand can really help you to um, cope with the harder things that you come up against as you're in your formative periods, whether or not it's because you're a teenager or because you're coming to terms with something that's quite difficult. I think having something that is really so scary to the main character that isn't what you're expecting as well is quite a refreshing element of the book. In most stories that you read, there is the sort of the main baddie Mm -hmm. or the main element of the story that is what we focus on and the fact that Harry's Bogart becomes a Dementor that tells you the greatest thing you have to fear is fear itself it's a really powerful and it's introduced in such a subtle way which I think she's she's really good at doing that isn't she I mean the next thing we were going to talk about was the world building and that is just such a tiny element of what is an enormous world absolutely so what do you love about the world building so much? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly what I really love is that it just feels so real. You don't have to think about it too hard. It's just introduced in such a way that it really made me think this is real. This mm. is absolutely how it is. There is a secret magical world. You can get there via a pub in London. I'd never been to London at this time, so I didn't really know what that would look like. But yeah, the whole concept of the bank, Gringotts, and Leaky Cauldron, and Diagon Alley, everything, Mm. I just thought was so amazing. I suppose now as an adult, if I start thinking about it a bit too closely, there might be things that we can Mm. nitpick. There's Uh, definitely things that as an adult I nitpick, but at the time I just took for granted. Yeah, like... (laughs) Actually, I got this from a, a different podcast that I was listening to, but somebody was talking about what's the di- what's the point of different brooms? Like, what makes one broom better than another broom? Surely, if you know magic, can't you just use a spell to make your current broom be better than it is? Yeah. <laughs> For example. Yeah. Or why didn't the why didn't the Weasleys just fix all of their robes with magic? If they were getting too short, isn't there a spell that they could use to make them longer you know stuff like this yeah I've never thought about that I guess I 
in the immature part of my brain don't look at it too closely because I don't want them to think about that stuff necessarily. It's it's a really tricky thing because I never got on board with Pottermore. I think that's where I'm starting to say once it starts getting too big, I start losing interest. But actually, Pottermore is such an enormous resource if you're thinking about that world building area because you just get so much more information about everything. But I think I didn't need it to fill in the blanks in the original world, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I don't think I needed it either. I'm perfectly happy with the seven books as they are. Yeah. In my opinion, they're pretty much close to perfect and nothing anybody can say is going to change their yeah. mind. <laughs> um, however, it was just nice to yeah. get the extra uh, character backgrounds mm. and location backgrounds and a bit more history of the magic in the world. But you do get into the trouble of it just becomes a bit too big. And I think we've discussed this before in person. You start making mistakes because J.K. Rowling, at the end of the day, is just another person. Mm. And, you know, she also wants to give fans what they want, which is, I suppose, more of the original characters. So Mm. for whatever reason, she decided to put McGonagall at Hogwarts in the 1920s, like 10 years before she was born. I think the thing that really bothered me was when she said that Dumbledore was gay it caused such a reaction in the media. Mm -hmm. And I was really like, that has absolutely no bearing on the story. But then maybe if I had been gay, I would have been like, oh, okay, awesome. There's my representation in the books. Mm -hmm. You start getting into some of the really big and also the controversial sides of it, which, like I say, I don't know too much about because I tend to try avoid... (laughs) stuff i didn't mind that information i i don't mind the information i think it was the way that it became a thing in the media and it and i think my interpretation of that was that she's doing this to be inflammatory and to get publicity i kind of agree with you Mm. Um, in terms of it not having any bearing on the story that's like a separate debate i suppose because not just with harry potter but with any story once the author tells you it's a certain way yeah go back and you can find bits that suddenly read differently yeah that's true actually because the whole Grindelwald Dumbledore relationship becomes different when you consider that I mean it works perfectly fine as just you know two teenage boys who become really good friends and have a falling out but it almost works a little bit better if if you have that kind of romance angle yeah what's your favorite part of the world building I think it's probably pretty similar to you, the relatability. I was living in England by the time I managed to read the full books. So for our 21st, for your 21st or somebody's 21st, I think it was yours. Yes. um, We did the walking tour and we went to the place that inspired Diagon Alley and we saw some of these areas that were fundamental parts of the books. And... They were nothing like I'd imagined. They were similar enough that it wasn't too jarring because of the way that she built the world was that you had enough information that you could, you had a framework and then you could fill in the gaps yourself. It wasn't like, I think one of the reasons Game of Thrones is so difficult is because he describes the wooden spoons or the mud on the ground. Whereas that doesn't happen in Harry Potter. You get 
just enough information but like when like if you think about the cursed child mm-hmm. the actress who played hermione when i saw it was black and then out of interest i went back through and had a look and that was never mentioned it was very much you had enough information but not so much that you couldn't create the characters yourself yeah that makes sense i haven't gone back to actually i have to admit i haven't actually read the books since we were blogging about them whoa i'm not that much like you in the sense of i don't always reread them i did for a very long time mm. but now i want to read new books well part of the world building is all the characters which is another one of my favorite things as much as i love our golden trio i think i actually prefer a lot of the secondary characters for example Luna Lovegood is hands down the best. <laughs> I wish she was real because I oh think she'd be great friend. <laughs> Do you listen to Normal Not Normal, which is by James and Oliver Phelps? I don't listen to it. No. They do a podcast and they interview. Yes, they call her Evie, ah. and they they're just talking so much that it's a two episode. Thing. so I, if, if nothing else I recommend you listen to that one but mm-hmm. yeah Luna Lovegood is just such a fundamentally amazing character isn't she she's just so great she just embodies what I think has become so mainstream now but I don't think a lot of people appreciate that it wasn't mainstream when we were mm-hmm. reading it which is just love yeah. what you love don't care Be what anybody else at the time you almost had to justify or even almost feel ashamed of liking certain mm. especially sci-fi or fantasy that was yeah well that's actually why my accent is so very british because i had a very zimbabwean accent when we moved and we went to a very rural school and i used to get mocked so every time i got mocked for a word i would change the pronunciation <sighs> so mean. as they are to to luna because she yeah is, uh, yeah and she just doesn't care yeah. <laughs> And that's just so amazing, and I think it's yeah. a great message for a lot of young people. My favourite character will always be George, and I don't even know why. I think because I have George in the Yeah, I don't know. So weird, isn't it? Yeah, because especially for the two of them, I mean, I know that they're two separate people. Yeah, but though, but in the books, it's really difficult to distinguish between them, apart from the inevitable tragedy. Yes. <laughs> who else serious i don't know do we consider him a secondary character or a? yeah i would say yes i would say that the main characters are harry ron hermione dumbledore and voldemort okay and i would say everybody else pretty much supplementary so then in that case sirius is also up there as one of my all time yeah maybe yeah i was heartbroken when he died Mm. I think I cry every time I read that scene. It upset me so much more than when Dumbledore died. And I really, really, until the end of that book, I was convinced that she would bring him back. Like, it's not possible that she would just kill him. And and that's it. And I don't really know why. Because he's not, I mean, he's a very important character. He's not in it so much. But I think it's because of just... Well, he's the father figure for Harry, isn't he? He's the father figure, yeah. Yeah, he gives Harry hope. He's just that great dad who's just completely mm-hmm. accepting of Harry as as Harry is. 
I think it's also a little bit, he's the first person that from the moment we are introduced to him really wants to be with Harry. He, he's just escaped from Azkaban and he's trying to get to Harry before he goes and runs away. And then as soon as he meets Harry, he says, come live with me. And then he's always writing to Harry. Whereas all of the other characters and especially the Marauders, Lupin completely pretends that he didn't know, you know, that he's of no importance whatsoever. Pettigrew lives as a rat in the same dorm as Harry and nothing ever happens. Dumbledore's lying to Harry left, right and centre. Mm. Snape's lying to Harry left, right and centre and absolutely hates him for something he never did. Whereas Sirius is the first person who's like, yes, I want you to be in my life and to love you the way that your parents would have loved you. He's kind of the first character who loves Harry for Harry, not mm. for Harry Potter, the boy mm. who lived. Exactly, yeah. Obviously, as much as Ron and Hermione become that, that is not how they are in the beginning. They are both, no. oh, this is Harry Potter, the celebrity. I think that's also that part of where Harry has to get accepted for being something other at the beginning is another part of why I, why I loved, loved the book so much, because he was the boy who lived and he was extraordinary. And the fact that he managed to make friends and become a kid in some ways at Hogwarts was one of the other things that made me so drawn to it. Um, and then there's also the sort of sense of humour that comes from those relationships. Yeah. I think the line that made me literally laugh out loud was, I think after Dudley says to Harry, thanks for saving my life last summer or something, just before they all part ways, or I can't remember exactly when it is, but anyway, there's a line where Vernon looked at Dudley as if he'd expressed a wish to become a ballerina, and <laughs> I just burst out laughing the first time I read that. I was just like, it's all so doom and gloom and then suddenly you get like these amazing snippets of just humor yes. that keep it light absolutely and harry himself is just such a quippy funny boy even mm. from the beginning despite everything despite you know the dursleys and how horrible they are to him and living underneath the stairs he's just funny mm. and i don't really know where that comes from because you know who who does he have to trade jokes with or be funny with he doesn't have any friends the only people he really talks to are his aunt and uncle and his cousin mm. they don't really they're not funny at all no. <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're funny in their behavior or at least yeah. rowling uh, describes them in the first book with all the letters from from hogwarts but like, they're not funny people the golfer joke that we still don't know what the punchline is punchline was yeah not funny <laughs> <laughs> So who do you think has the best sense of humour then out of all the characters? You sort of have to say Fred and George, don't you? You sort of have to, yeah. But they're they're like prankster funny, um, which isn't my kind of humour, really. I yeah. don't think it's pranks. No, I don't. I'm, I don't either. I think it's the narration that I find funny. Mm -hmm. There's another time when girls, unlike boys, don't have the emotional range of a teaspoon. Yes, just those little observations that are really quite cutting, but they take you out of the seriousness of the moment. I agree. I think I quite like Ginny's sense of humor. Mm. Ginny is also a very important character, as we know, mm -hmm. and she starts off, you know, really shy. 
she has the crush and it's just so adorable and mm. when you're reading it as a 10 11 year old you're like yeah i mean when i have when the boy that i like is around this is what i'm like as well mm. i can put my elbow in the butter but then by the end she's just such a badass and she likes mm. you know she knows who she is and she doesn't mm. like nonsense and especially mm. not her older brothers teasing her for dating boys so i think my favorite line from her was when she starts dating Harry and I think is it Romilda Vane is asking her if she if he has a tattoo or something yeah. <laughs> and she says well it's a hippogriff on his chest or something something like that yeah and this Ron Ron's got a pygmy puff but she yeah. didn't say where yeah yeah she's a badass that bogey hex as well oh it's just there's just so much to talk about I know we could do a whole show. Like a whole I know, show. but we can't. We're not gonna. Maybe one day. But I think the last thing that I really wanted to talk about was the audiobooks. Mm-hmm. So this is how I now consume Harry Potter exclusively. I have three different sets. One is the original set that I bought. The other's the set that you gave me when they were re-illustrated. And then the other is just a random set of just extra books that people have given me. I only ever listen to the Stephen Fry audiobooks and it that is exclusively because of my mental health so when I was having a lot of panic attacks one of the only ways that I could get myself back to reality and being able to focus and operate in real life again was to listen to Harry Potter until I fell asleep after a panic attack and then once I'd woken up I sort of clicked reset on my brain. When I had the really bad anxiety, I found found it impossible to get to sleep at night when I was supposed to be sleeping. So I trained myself to just listen to Harry Potter until I was asleep. And it only works with Harry Potter because I know the book so well that if I miss 15 minutes because I've fallen asleep before my timer ends, it doesn't matter because I know know exactly what happened. But somehow it just never, it never gets boring enough that it's detrimental. Or maybe that's why it helps me sleep. Because <laughs> I know it so well that it's a little bit boring now. And also Stephen Fry, the voice. I think that's partly also why I can't get into audiobooks, because he's just ruined them for me. Mm. Because he is just so good. At all the voices, at the, the narration, that I inevitably just compare everything else that I listen to to him, and I don't find it as good. The way that he reads it is very, it's light, and it's fun, and it's magical. For example, I was listening to The Handmaid's Tale as an audiobook. I hadn't read it. And I found the narration kind of jarring because the woman who was narrating it was being was using quite quite an upbeat voice was completely at odds with the book. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really grim. Whereas I think Stephen Fry just kind of nails it. Yeah, we've listened to all the Harry Potters with Andreas. Mm-hmm. And we started on one road trip that we were doing on the south coast of England, and then we finished it on our honeymoon 
which was also a road trip in Iceland. And I think it's what you say that because we know the stories already so well, it just becomes this kind of nice background to whatever yeah. you're doing. I don't exactly. feel like I need to really focus on it. It can mm -hmm. just be there. And whenever I tune in, I, oh yeah, I know where we are. I know what's happened. Whereas with other audiobooks, if I miss something, it becomes really annoying because I have to keep going back. Who would you say is your favorite Stephen Fry character? Probably Dumbledore or maybe Slughorn. I really like his uh, Rita Peter and Victor Crumb, actually, I think. Yeah. He, he does quite well with the, with the foreign accent. I, I quite like that. Fleur Delacour as well. Anything else you want oh. to say on the subject of Harry Potter? Ah, uh, everything. I could talk about mm. Harry Potter for forever, but I suppose we have to wrap it up. So we thought we would end this episode by throwing it out to the audience that now that you've heard both of us speaking for a relatively substantial amount of time, what do you think our Hogwarts houses are? As a reminder for everyone, that's Gryffindor, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, or Hufflepuff. We have both been sorted into a house using Pottermore, so we are really curious to know what you guys think. Um, if you have any ideas, feel free to drop us an email or reach out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We will be on all of these platforms. Yes, we've even set up a group on Goodreads. So if you are a Goodreads fan, then you can chat to us on there. The next episode, we've already decided what we're going to read. So it's A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Maas. So if you would like to listen to the next one, it'll probably be up in a couple of weeks and we will go from there. We're looking for suggestions of other books to read as well. We, ha we already have quite a list, but it's always good to find out new things to read. Yes. Um, also, in terms of upload schedule, we will aim to do a new episode every two weeks. It won't always be about a series. It will quite often be just about a single book because we do both have full-time jobs. So <laughs> unfortunately, we can't read all the time. And there's also a bit of a, I read really, really quickly if I'm into a book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Corey reads a lot faster than I do. Right, well, I think that's probably all we have for today. It was really nice to do this with you, Lucia. It was really nice to do this with you, Corey. All right, I'll see you next time. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. You can send your feedback, thoughts, questions and book recommendations to us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram as Reading Materials Pod, Twitter as Reading Matt and Facebook as Reading Materials Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, keep reading. Mm -hmm.